West West y'all. Now here's Clark again. Oh, and through again he goes. He's got to Tutu with him. But it's Ioane in fact. Enrico Ioane's going to score. What a brilliant play from Caleb Clark and the Blues are in again. Then it back this near side for Vince Arso. Vince Arso gives it away to Umanga Jensen. Recording now. Yeah, so we're just talking about the Blues and all the woes that they've had since Carlos left. And probably the best first five uh, we had who could have made something for the Blues was probably uh, Nick Evans, left before his time, so... Joey, mate, you got something you wanted to share about a story, interesting story about the great man? <laughs> Nick Evans, I'm a big fan of Nick Evans. He ended up uh, being the head coach for, or one of the coaches for um, Wimbledon, where I played rugby as well. So when he left New Zealand Shores for a uh, UK contract to play for Harlequins in England, um, the English rugby players, they loved their banter, right? And they decided, yep, we're going to celebrate this guy and, and do a bit of a, have a bit of a do, a bit of a shindig, a welcoming shindig for him and, and other players that had just joined the team. And what they did was they wrapped up this gift for him to unwrap. They called him up to the front unwrapped his gift and <clears throat> if you remember his playing days in the All Blacks, he was the the second choice at one point to the great GOAT, which is DC, right? And when he unwrapped his gift, it was a framed All Blacks photo of DC. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> we all just started cracking up. That's cold. Yeah, so that was his welcoming, welcoming gift to Harlequins. <laughs> yeah. All that time to try to get away and then, yeah, opening gift. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. Can't escape the great man. Yeah, so that was their way of, uh, I guess, humbling the man before he takes over the reins over there as the, the director, the on-field director. Yeah. To his credit, though, <laughs> you've got to give him credit because he ended up becoming one of Harlequin's greatest ever players after that, that stint he had over there. So he was a, you know, widely regarded as one of their best. So, you know, to his credit. Oh, totally. Totally. I really enjoyed watching their games. Yep. Nice. Yeah, good story there, Joey, mate. <laughs> and on that note, yep. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Counter-Ruck. So I'll just start, boys. We'll just have a quick, some quick introductions. So Rog, one of our regular panelists, thanks for coming on us. Big small. Happy to be here. Just finished doing a couple of laps at a couple of Ks here at the Trek Trust Stadium. So, yeah, you might see some perspiration coming off my my um, 85 kg frame. Oh, 85. You, you're in the backs these days, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> no, and we also have um, our great storyteller from the city of the future, Joey, mate. Joey, thanks for jumping on us. Thank you. Up yeah. the blues. 
up to blues 2023 that's us <laughs> okay boys so before we get into the whole thing i'll um take care of some housekeeping um our website's up and running check us out www.wizwiznet.com and don't forget to click the support us button on the page to keep the content flowing and we also have some exclusive content available for our supporters so definitely some additional benefits there um, I'll also mention you can follow the Counter-Ruck on Twitter and Facebook, so give us a follow and give us a like on there. Um, so a bit to get through, but uh, might as well just rip the band-aid off and start with the Super Rugby <laughs> final. The Crusaders took it out uh, 21-7 was the final score over the Blues at Eden Park, and then they bloody breakdanced their way home with uh, the trophy. So, Joey, mate, I know you're a diehard Blues guy. How did you see that one? Well, I had the pleasure of being uh, at the game and drenched by the rain. I thought it was a good final, actually. Even though, as fate would have it, uh, the Blues played their poorest performance of the season in the final, I thought, and were totally outclassed by a Crusaders outfit who seemed to pull one out of the hat for the, <laughs> for the final. But um, obviously, a bit of muscle memory there and great... Uh, strategy. They've obviously got uh, a coach there who his, his tactics are just undeniable. It's a right shame that uh, he hasn't got high honours with any international team, let alone the All Blacks. Um, the Blues, look, they I, I thought they didn't play to the conditions as well as the Crusaders did. I thought, um, and that was quite telling from Richie Mahunga's first run of the game, I thought, okay, he's probably a sign of how this game's going to go. The fact that he was able to make those kind of yards early doors and then following that up with things like consecutive lost lineouts, um, which have been our bread and butter through the season for the Blues. Um, I thought they either had a mole in the pack who was giving away uh, the moves of the lineouts or it was just one of those days where the Crusaders forwards just all clicked and uh, decided to have a go at everything, and everything came off the way they wanted it to. From where I saw it, I, I, I kind of admired their lineup because they pretty much got maximum height from you know their locks, the way they lifted both up every lineup, and kind of took away the options for the Blues to be able to win the, even their own ball. So um, hats off, hats off to the, the forwards for Crusaders who just managed to dominate set pieces, the scrums as well, uh, they look woeful at best for the Blues. And as a Blues fan, it's quite disheartening to see, but at the same time, the positive I took away from that match was the fact that all the uh, fan wagoners uh, came out and supported in numbers, hoping for yeah. the Blues win. Uh, so in a way, it seemed like we got our fan base back that it seemed to be missing over the last decade or so. <laughs> So that was nice to see. Nice to see a lot of blue, but uh, at the same time, disappointing result. But that's rugby. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And especially that yeah. point about the fan base. So I don't know when the last time the Blues sold out Eden Park. Like you'd have to go back a fair few years. So try to get some silver linings in a comprehensive loss. There's one there. But, you know, Rog, I know you've got quite an interesting perspective because you essentially watch the game as a neutral in a lot of ways. So I'm interested to hear your take on that final. What did you make of it, mate? Yes. Neutral being the operative word there. 
very, very interesting match to watch, um, being a spectator. But it was quite intriguing in terms of who would, you know, get the first uh, sort of uh, tailwind, so to speak. And it seemed like as soon as Moanga, they, they pointed to the sticks for their first penalty kick, it was like, oh, they're going to slowly chip away at this, playing to the conditions. And, you know, it, it, it was... They had, you know, all those penalties and still, you know, patience in terms of trying to chip away and then eventually get a, a try. Um, but um, I think as soon as they, they got up, was it 6-0 at one point? And I was thinking, whoa, these guys are, you know, just slow because of the conditions. And I remember in the morning during the day how it was bucketing down and I was thinking, whoa, the, the Blues who have been, playing quite an expensive game, you know, going out wide with the Mark Tillers, the Bryce Seams, you know, even the Lamb, young Lamb, um, towards the back end of the season as well because of Caleb Routh. Uh, sorry, Caleb Clark. I'd say that again, Caleb Clark. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it's even even Riku Iwane couldn't even – it was almost like he wasn't even playing. I only recall watching, seeing that he got the ball once and was – you know, tackled um, and wrapped up quite comprehensively from the uh, the Crusader defense, and it just seemed like they could never get any go forward. Joey mentioned the scrums, the lineouts. Oh, man, it was so disappointing. From because you know I've been a big fan of Kirk Eklund, and he does have a really you know good playing style, and um, you know up until the weekend of the grand final, it's almost like the Blues played their worst game and the commentator did say, you know, that they probably saved their best, their worst game for that grand final and the Crusaders just seemed, as soon as they got a bit of a um, an eye on um, what the outcome was in the end, it seemed like they didn't want to let up and, and I think there was no way for the Blues to sort of counter everything that the Crusaders were, were throwing at them and then and you know, we just saw it unravel, and it's yeah, disappointing from a Blues perspective. Um, but um, yeah, I guess it was a bit of a anticlimax for what was a, a brilliant Blues season and the first season where they've had those you know records record run of wins for a very long time. So the last two seasons, they've had a, a good run of it and good fist of it. And, um, you know, I, I must concede because that fourth title is counted in their, <laughs> in their record and it's the Blues have four titles within Super Rugby, but uh, yep. albeit a trans-Tasman title. I still reckon it's the poor cousin to this whole title thing, but hey, you know, the Blues will count it as, as their fourth. But I can't recall a time when... You know, I've had it close to a sellout. Close to close to a sellout because although they said sellout, there was a few empty seats in there and people there would have bought tickets or, you know, got bulk tickets. You know, some of these people didn't turn up just because of the conditions, I suppose. But it was a good atmosphere, so it appeared. And, um, and then it turned out to be like Mount Smart when the Warriors leave early, Warriors fans leave early towards the end of the game. And that's what how it was emptying out at Eden Park. Um, I guess a lot of people, like like was mentioned, Stace uh, didn't want to see Robertson um, 
do his breakdance there as well, let alone wait wait for a presentation which wasn't going to be coming and staying at Eden Park. Yeah, good thoughts there. I agree. That was the worst the Blues played all year. And I know me and you, Joey, touched about that a bit off here. But I wanted to... You both brought up the, the set piece and the lineouts. Uh, Joey, I don't know if you might have an answer, but what went wrong there? Because I think they lost nine... Nine lineouts on their own throw. And I mean, you ain't going to win any games with that. I, I was trying to have a look and figure it out, but I know you, you're you a bit more familiar with the dark arts of the the, the Type 5. So <laughs> have you got any thoughts or theories about what happened on the, that lineout? Because that was a disgrace. Oh, mate, where do I start? Um, from that very first lineup that we lost, I just thought, okay, we've been found out. The Crusaders have thrown up, thrown up both jumpers and they seem to be quite a length higher than our own jumpers on our own throw. What are we going to do in the next lineup? Are we going to do the same thing, take the same approach? Or are we going to learn from this and try something different? We're, you know, throw it to the prop at the front who turns around and maybe passes it back to the hooker. Or throw it to the back. Are we going to do something different? No. We did the same thing over and over and over again. And it just seemed like we didn't have that on-field audible, you know? We didn't have that those amendments, those adjustments that you should make as a leader in the forward pack, noticing that the Crusaders haven't come to the lineouts to rest or let us win it easily. So I think they just didn't... Um, they didn't learn from the mistakes. They didn't learn from, dare I say it, inadequacies, and therefore paid the price with what consecutive losses in the lineup. Unfortunately for Kurt Eklund, he was in the position of someone who gets looked at, gets the immediate blame for yep. a lost lineup um, before a lock ever does. The hooker will, because the hooker is the one that's supposed to throw the ball in straight to the target and not throw it to or throw it in a, in, a, in a way where the opposition can either tap it or get their hands on the ball because that hooker that's throwing the ball in will get the blame every single time. So I feel for Kurt Eklund in that respect, but at the same time it's like, come on Kurt, you've played the game long enough, you need to take the ball by the horns and kind of lead yourself and say, hey look, guys, that move you just called me to throw to, it's either going to get picked off again or let me do my own move with, you know, one of the boys at the front or, you know, it's, it's have a better option. No, they just didn't seem to learn from those, those mistakes. That's frustrating for, for someone who uh, is watching the team, <laughs> supporting the team that uh, was losing the lineups. Yep, yeah, I agree with that. So the Blues, they had an outstanding season, but that was when they had the pressure was on, they weren't able to make those adjustments and uh, they got a bit of stage fright or whatever you want to put it down to. But yeah, that was the thing that I also took out was they weren't able to make the adjustments on the fly. They had enough experienced guys there. I, I would have thought that would have been able to pick up on that. But White Lock, he was a beast. I don't think he was the official man of the match, but I thought he was the best player on the park for what he was able to do uh, to just to stifle that ball. So, Roger, you were going to jump in there? 
Yeah, because uh, Joey was mentioning, or you both mentioned how they failed to adjust, you know, to the challenge that the, that the Crusaders were presenting at line-out time. I felt that there were a couple of times when they tried to go long, right past the last person of the line-out and bring Bryce Heeman or one of the backs charging onto the ball. They did that a couple of times and were successful with it. However, they did it one too many times and then were caught out as soon as they were, you know, the Crusaders were picking, okay, these guys, they're getting frustrated um, in the actual line-out itself. They're going at the back. They did do that and then third time unlucky, they, yeah, they, it's almost like they, they were run out of options and, and they were just trying what was working um, at the back they did that twice and then the third time. And so they were just like, they, they seemed a bit clueless. I felt for Eklund because, yep, like Joey mentioned, Hooker does get the blame most of the time. People think it's it's all about the throw, but it's the communication as well. I don't know whether the elements, the weather, the rain played a part where they weren't communicating as to, um, you know, the, the, the misjudgment or the timing of the throw and the lifting of the 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 line-out jumper, but um, it just seemed to go really missing. And the stats that were brought out, you said nine. I think at the end it was ten line-outs on their own throw that they lost. Um, I counted seven during the game, but, yeah, they said ten. And on average it was during the season two per game for the Blues and for them to, again, adding to being their worst performance of the season, um, missed ten of their own throws. And so – and then that – you know, sort of capitulated even more on when the on the scrum. Uh, another part of the set piece with a pretty being pretty strong. Then they had Nepal Olala, Kirk Eklund, who was in the middle at hooker, and then you had Offa Tungafasi, who started that. Oh no, sorry, it wasn't Offa. It was um, another All Black and Hodgman, and so they started. And I felt they were doing all right, but you know, obviously Crusaders had Jaeger, Oli Jaeger, and um, um, the other prop escapes me right now. But, Bauer. Oh, yeah, George Bauer. So, you know, pretty strong um, front rows there and trying to command um, a stance against each other. However, I think the more, the major um, turning point for me was when Offa and and Kao Tunukuafe came on. And obviously they had been rep- starters as well as Crusaders had done the same and Tamaiti Williams and Fletcher Newell who are are relatively newcomers this is their first season in the in the big league and there were a couple of two two scrums that they they put on Offa and and Carlton where they twisted them and they they got a couple of penalties and a tight head I believe but yeah and it just seemed like Offa had no answer because it was Offa's side that was going back it seemed like and then um, it was elevating um, Carl's side um, sort of by default because of Tamaiti's um, shunt that was he was putting on offer. And it just seemed like the camera was right on offer. He was just looking to the sky, you know. He was, was almost out of frustration. And, you know, maybe he was looking for, to the referee to actually penalise um, um, Tamaiti Williams, his side. But it just seemed like they were they had the impetus and two sort of scrum penalties on the trot. They did try to, you know, uh, solidify it a bit more um, towards the back end of the game, but I, th- I think um, they really got their tails up, and 
and you know, Sivarush thumping around in the background as well. So, uh, but yeah, I think Tamaiti Williams, you, you'll be seeing him for a long time. Yeah, and he's it. He reminds me of that sort of um, solid build of a who was that Chiefs prop? Tom, uh, Ben Tamaifuna. Yeah, just, you know, big, big, solid unit. Probably not the most mobile, but he seems to get around the field uh, when he comes on, and he always has a bit of impact, whether it be in the set piece in the scrum or, you know, charging for the line, close to the line, you know, the one-offs off the ruck. So he's got a big future. He's been named in the, the Māori All Blacks as well. So um, it'll be interesting to see where they go. But, you know, George Bauer's inclusion in the All Black uh, squad as well for this Irish, Irish testers, you know, is, is just reward for a, a good season by him. And, you know, he was relatively known, uh, you know, not really known when he first made it into the All Blacks, but I think everyone's been keeping a good eye on him and he's, he's sort of progressed well with the All Black status as well. Yeah, we talked about uh, this a bit um, pre-recording there, Joey, but off was... He's been exposed through his scrummaging a little bit now. He got a lesson in that quarterfinal from Ethan DeGroote, and that's how Kami ended up being dropped to the bench after that. And then, like you say, right when like Roger's saying, you know, when uh, he comes off the bench, he's up against some relative newbies. You think, oh, well, here's our opportunity to sort of get some ascendancy. And again, he's getting pushed back. Is, is, how much of it is... Is his poor scrummaging? Is he not getting enough power from the back from the locks as well? I mean, I don't know. What What do you think? You know, again, this is more your area of expertise. Look, um, from a from a former props point of view, uh, I just wonder if his head was in the final the way it should have been. And the reason why I say that is because I was set behind the goalposts before the game had started, and we were watching the Crusaders team warm up. And you could see the focus in every single player focused on uh, doing a job during the game. And then when the Blues um, dirty dirties or the, sorry, the reserves um, went to warm up, they warmed up in front of us where we were set. And all it took was one of the guys who was sat next to us to yell out Offa's name and Offa turned around and waved and obviously, um, you know, catered to the crowd who wanted to shout things at him. And, you know. But I just thought in that moment, you could have just kept your focus and um, concentrated on what kind of a job you're going to do when you get on the field. And and that's the only, only thing I take away from it is that I wonder if, that could have led to, you know, a bit of complacency in his performance. You know, maybe, maybe that could have led to him thinking, "Oh, I'm on the bench. I can relax. I don't need to uh, think too much about what I'm going to do when I get on. What kind of impact I'm going to have on the game, or uh, even watch the game whilst I'm off." Uh, I just wonder if, you know, his head was in it, and therefore his scrum was found wanting. Because of it, because of the lack of focus, um, I know that as a as a prop, as soon as you lose even half a second of focus, that's all your counterpart needs in order to get the mental over you, get that mental 
position over you, especially in a scrum. So uh, that's 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 where I thought, okay, although you probably lost the mental battle because of how you relaxed you were, unfocused you were. But I may be, may be wrong. I may be wrong. And that may be his approach to every game. And it's led to his success and making it to the All Blacks and, and playing all these games as a professional rugby player. But um, just as a fan and, and a former prop myself, I, I just thought maybe his head wasn't as in the game as it should have been for someone who was going to come on and do a job. I've got some question marks over him, eh? I mean... He's great around the field. We've seen that before. He's charging down drop kicks and doing all sorts of great runs and offloads. <clears throat> but his core responsibility is that set piece. And we've seen him a few times get carved up a few times. So, you know, maybe with Retallick and Whitelock giving them a bit of extra push from the back, that might help him out a bit more. But, um, yeah, based on what I've seen from him with the Blues, and I've got some question marks over him. So it's up to him now. Hopefully he can prove us all wrong uh, with the upcoming All Blacks. But um, <clears throat> just sticking with the final boys, is there any who who really stood out for you? Just looking at some individual players, um, Rog, who who did you really like uh, the look of in that final? Probably not a lot of the Blues guys. Yeah, Richie Wonga, the way that he and even Bryn Hall, because um, as soon as Bryn Hall got replaced, that's how Finley Christie scored his try when he. Disrupted the replacement uh, halfback that came on, and he did it really well. But it was just in that moment I saw Bryn Hall. They, you know, they clapped him off, and he, he had a really good, strong final. And that's the last time we're going to be seeing Bryn Hall in Crusaders colours. He's um, heading abroad, but yeah, Bryn Hall's passing always crisp as, as I, I feel. I, I mean, I'm, I don't know the technicalities of a of a half halfback's pass, but it seems smooth and. His follow-through, his hands are always up in the air as soon as his, his ball's gone. That's what I noticed with, you know, decent halfbacks at least. And that's just something that I observe as a, as a spectator and as a fan. But Richie Moonga, the way that he was able to not only control the game, uh, but eventually just, um, you know, make inroads through that midfield or um, in himself, you know, and just sort of, take control of the actual um, the match and starting off with those penalties but um, uh, Will Jordan as well you know just solid as well under the high ball um, but you know he didn't almost got a try uh, but uh, you know he had some good running lines but again it was all close, close quarter stuff Um but it just didn't seem that they would they were gonna give up their lead or because I just felt like they were written off because and I and I can understand that from a blues perspective. And the blues have had a good had an amazing season, um undefeated, and then they get to the the big dance and you know, and so the expectation is high, the sellout stadium is there. Um, everything's pointing towards that fairy tale finish about you know that what they had done in two in oh three or oh four oh three when they last won it you know they beat the Brumbies in the quarterfinals and the semifinals back then and then did the the job on on the Crusaders in the in the final um, however and so were they able to replicate that this year uh, just fell short but 
it just seemed like they weren't in the game. So it was really hard because they didn't have the momentum. There was a couple of times the commentators thought, oh, no, Finley Christie try is going to be the the game changer. But it just wasn't enough for me personally. Even though they had scored that try, they were trying to catch up, play catch up, and but they just didn't seem to have a resp- an answer. That was just individual brilliance and, and good focus and concentration on uh, Christie's part to get that try. And so... Um, you know, they were looking at a donut at half time, but we're able just to you know, stick in with a few points there. But yeah, Pablo Matera, um, he yeah. put up a post and, um, you know, because I didn't realise he was only here for the season and he's taken up a more lucrative offer um, elsewhere. And um, yeah, his post ended with um, Crusader 252 forever. And so it looks like he's come, done the job, he's got a title and, you know, he, he, he emphasised that he's never won, a, of everywhere that he's played, he's never won a title and so, you know, the super the super title, it's it's one of many for the Crusaders franchise but, you know, someone from Argentina, it's his very first one so, you know, and uh, I think it was something that he'll cherish and remember and his family have travelled all this way to take up that opportunity and He's capitalised and goes home or goes to where his the next chapter is for him and his family, a happy man. But yeah, he had an outstanding season too. Oh, he was awesome. That's got to be one of the best bloody one-year signings. Uh, I was, oh, we, we knew, we knew he was good, but you know, the Crusaders is a tough team to get into. So I was unsure. Where he would find his place, eh? Hey? But he, right, com- right. he commanded his own position. I was like, man, there was no way that they could leave him out after they saw, you know, those... Because we knew what he was like for Argentina and everything like that, but you know, for him to command a, a space in amongst all the talent that's already there, you know, it's that's that's the measure of the man. And and I think Argentinian rugby or you know Los Pumas for next year's Rugby World Cup will only benefit from that. And hopefully, you know, he'll he'll take some of that. And but yeah. Um, he'll forever have a title with the Crusaders and I think it doesn't matter whether he's played one season or however many seasons, I think they'll they'll remember him with, with great fondness down in Crusader country. Yep, yep, I agree with all that. So hopefully, now we know the Crusaders have that strong culture and if he can take some of that, give it to the Argentinians and help to embed some of that, they'll, that'll all go well for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, mate, Joey, uh, Roger brought up an interesting point about Finn, uh, what's his name, sorry, the halfback for the Crusaders, Bryn Hall. Bryn Hall, sorry. That was his final game. He never made the All Blacks. I'm just wondering how highly you rate him. Do you think he should have been an All Black? I was spoken briefly on this podcast about uh, Ben Lamb. Ben Lamb probably being one of the best who never made the All Blacks, who played Super Rugby at real high level for the Hurricanes and never got picked. Where would you rate Bryn Hall? Do you think he should have been an All Black or do you think he's one of the unlucky ones? And also just another uh, who you also thought stood out in the game as well after after your Bryn Hall. Yeah, I think Bryn Hall, unfortunately, just like uh, Ben Lamb, was the victim of playing in an era where there were just, unfortunately, better players. Just like if we go back a couple of eras, Norm Hewitt, great player, but unfortunately he was there during the time of the great Sean Fitzpatrick, right? So you're always going to have those kind of stories where you know, a uh, TJ Perinar until recent times. So, you know, he, he had to really try and go head-to-head with Aaron Smith. But as time has gone on, Aaron Smith has established himself as the premier uh, halfback, international halfback. But now that seems to be 
shifting as as it would towards the end of great careers. I guess the the, the torch gets passed on to the next up and comer. Uh, Bryn Hall unfortunately wasn't firing when he was at the Blues. He wasn't putting himself in the frame for selection even when he first went to the Crusaders. Uh, he was fighting for a spot there as well, well during that time when he first went there. Um, good on him for getting a, a title uh, with the Crusaders. But at the same time, he's the unfortunate victim of the, the greater success of others. Yep. Yeah, I, I actually quite like Bryn Hall as a player, but you're right. I, I wouldn't have dropped, definitely not dropping Aaron Smith. And Piranara, um, when he was on, he was he was one of the, the better players for the All Blacks there. So, yeah, I agree with all that. But just on that game, mate, who, who really stood out for you? I know Rog touched on a couple of players. Anyone really catch your eye in that game? Me? Um, so, 2-2. Yep. Hands down. So Tutu for me was the player of the losing side. Um, he was everywhere. He tried his best. He put in some some decent tackles in crucial times. Um, I was quite a fan of him putting Seven Roos down at one point. Um, other than him, I guess standouts. Richie, you can't deny Richie being a standout in the game, even though we kind of grown to expect that type of a game from him. Um, I thought Bowden was outplayed by his counterpart, but by Richie. Um, there's no denying Bowden's greatness, but he, he brings a different skill set to what uh, to to the, I guess the game breaking that Richie has, and it showed in that final in the in the early stages he managed to get a good run early doors where he just slipped tackles and, and found gaps out wide and was dangerous. You know, and when you've got a dangerous player like that, all in hand, um, <clears throat> your defense better be on. Otherwise you'll, you'll get found out. Um, another standout for me probably was, um, <clears throat> was, was uh, Mr. Whitelock. He showed his class, you know, time and time again. He, he, he shows up to these games and he shows why he's considered one of the greats. You know, um, I thought it's quite unfortunate that he wasn't given another shot at uh, wearing the armband for the All Blacks. But look, I'm sure he'll get another opportunity because I really think Sam Kane is uh, prone to, to injuries, especially head injuries. And I don't know how long his, his, his playing style puts him in positions where he can't you can't help it. You can't help but put his you know, put himself in danger of getting those picking up those head injuries. So I, I don't know how long his career is gonna last because of it. And I really hope that um, he takes care of himself and doesn't one day regret that um, <clears throat> he didn't take better care during games and kind of ends up like uh, another guy that I, I've admired over the years, which is Carl Hammond, who is now suffering from dementia, and he's telling a story about it nationwide um, and sharing his story freely to help others prevent it in any way they can. So, um, yeah, those those were the standards. So, Tutu, Sam Whitelock, and possibly... See, I, I didn't think too much of Bryn Hall in the final. Dave Harvey, David Harvey, I thought he was a quiet toiler, and he actually dominated in the midfield. I thought he was he was actually 
really good. He helped to keep Rico quiet, I thought, and also Rog. He helped keep Rog and Rico quiet. So uh, well done to Dave Pavili. Hey, speaking of that, Roger Tuvasashek, I I don't understand the subbing, his subbing. I I was trying to think about it because it was only four minutes into the second half, and all of a sudden Roger Tuvasashek is making his way off the field. You know, what's the point of that? Is the I don't know. Did something happen in terms of was there an injury? There was no injury talked about about Roger Tuvasashek that he was trying to shake anything. Um, before the half was up, or unless you know, obviously something that if it was something medical, then that we don't know that it's not disclosed to us. But I just felt four minutes into the second half, you may as well have subbed the guy at half time, you know. Or, or I do remember there was a collision, so I wonder if Leon and the likes pulled him off as a safety precaution because there was, there was a collision at some point during the game whilst Rog was on. And Rog was involved in the collision, so I just wonder. I just wonder if they caught him, walled him for All Black honours. Oh, I don't know. There was that um, that hit that I think it was Gushu um, got knocked out, yeah. you know, momentarily, and yet they never even considered that for an HIA. It's just yeah, but it was both of them. Oh yes, that's right. The, the penalty, the, right? Uh, you're talking about the the the, the one where Rog ran the ball, and Gushu kind of put his head in the wrong place. Yeah, and Goodyear was just Havili, Havili pushed um yeah the tackler I mean Havili pushed Roger into um Goodyear, who was pretty much stationary. That's how they mitigated it down to to just a penalty. But uh, yeah, that's probably the that's probably the factor that led to him being sub. It just looked like uh yeah, oh yeah, the blues got no clue and Roger two of us has got no clue how to answer what the Crusaders were throwing. Yeah, I mean all come up. Well, it did look like the Crusaders were all over them and it looked like the blues, like the forwards couldn't make the adjustments, the backs weren't getting anything going. They looked bereft of ideas. I wonder if they thought we well, could get an experienced head in there who can Calm the boys down, something like that. Yeah. Well, that's the, the only you, thing I, like, I could think of. Because I, I was with you, I was like, mm. what, what the hell kind of a substitution But even when Dalton came on, that was mm. that was a breath of fresh air for the Blues and obviously he had that awesome run as well up the field and uh, came close to making it something. But I think as I'm not too sure why, why they held him back. I know they were trying to just... Uh, Slowly introduce him to the game, but it's the grand final. Eh? <laughs> Could they have started him? I don't know. Or maybe that was they got the bigger picture in in, in mind with the All Blacks uh, test series coming up. I could understand that too, because you know the man just had his, you know, was it appendicitis? Mm, so who knows? But I, I hard hard to sort of take anything away from the Crusaders. They had a you know, stellar performance against the Chiefs the week before and cancelling them out after 222 tackles. Uh, Super Rugby record. They broke their own record by a couple of tackles. Um, but then, you know, to come back from that, where it was a, a more of a defensive effort to actually, you know, just slowly chip away at the Blues and, and take that title, it just seemed inevitable, even with 20 minutes to go, that the Blues were, you know, it was a big ask for them. But um, they were still in the fight. But, 
you know, Crusaders sort of proved again why they are the Crusaders and the dynasty that they have created over the years. But um, all credit to the Blues. But again, going back to Offa, and I think he was getting found out even with uh, the Brumbies, not in the quarterfinal, but the the game. Um, I think the last game of the normal rounds, and. I felt that Scott Seal was getting hard done by the referee and penalized. he was getting penalised instead of Offa. Offa, I felt, was the one that was hitting the ground before Scott Seal was, and, and he was flat. And he was losing his, his feet, yet for some reason, the Blues were getting the ascendancy in terms of they weren't getting penalised. So who knows? It's, it's come around full circle, but Offa, to his credit, He's he's the third most capped blues, I think. I think it's the the record show. He's the third most capped blue, um, and he's the only one that's played over a hundred games in the current crop. So, an experienced player, he's been playing a long time. What can you do to better it for next season? He's going to be around for another season or two. So, um, but I think he's he's a toiler. He'll come right. I think he's one of those players that even the, his own fans. Loves to hate when he doesn't make a mistake, but he was the hero of the semi-final with the charge down. So, and all of a sudden, you know, offers loved again. But he's just one of those sort of, I guess, he has moments where, and I don't think it's all his fault because you know you do have a, an eight, you have a tight five who are meant to help and assist the the front row, but it's just making sure that they knew, hey, Tamaiti Williams is on. And they've seen, they knew about him from the beginning of the season. You know, they've seen him come off the bench and do what he does, especially at scrummaging. He's learning his craft and sort of applying what he's learning down in Crusader country, you know, and they, they churn out all black props, you know, for for forever. So there's nothing new and I just weren't up to the task, you know. There was probably one in, in amongst the two that I saw where they were going backwards, that they were able to sort of have a real solid uh, foundation on and, and didn't even move. So they were able to do it in, in spurts, but they were, those were the two sort of defining scrums that I recall where Tamaiti Williams and Fletcher Newell, who had just come on and tore them to shreds, as they say. He's a big unit, Tamaiti Williams. Yep. We'll see if he goes on to higher honours, but um, who knows. But of um. I think um, this Australian visitor that's here is uh, waving out. I I will have to say the internet is dying and I am going to have to skedaddle. But um, hey, Blues fans, unfortunately, you know, you may as well have just uh, not even made the final because at the end of the season, you're just on par with Western Force, Melbourne Rebels, and us Chiefs title for 2022. Ah, kakite ano! Yeah, thanks, Rog. Yeah, typical rubbish. <laughs> nah. nah, but um, Mike Joy, I just wanted to ask you um, just about any. I'm sure uh, Foster would have watched that game. Do you think there could be any ramifications for the All Blacks? I know we sort of speculated last week on our podcast with Biasness that there could be the Blues midfield for the All Blacks and all the rest of it. But after some pretty harsh lessons, do you think that there could be any potential? Someone might have played their way into the starting. Oh, totally. Uh, I think in terms of midfield, midfields versus other midfields, the, the trio of Bowden, 
RTS and Rico uh, were certainly outplayed by you know, the, the Moonga, uh, Goodhue and uh, Havili trio. But I don't think I don't think Fozzie will look too much into that, just because it's a final. Could have gone anyone's way, but it, it will, I guess, put some thoughts into Fozzie's mind as to who then does he select to fill the void of that second five position between Bowden and Rico. Because let's face it, doesn't matter how shit Bowden and Rico could play in the final, they are going to be our starting 10 and 13. It's just a matter of, does Rog fill that void? Is it too soon to pick him in the starting 15? Or do we just stick to the tried and true Aveli, who seems to have found his form again, that seems to have been missing earlier in the season and, and towards the end of last season? That's what I would be thinking of while I was fuzzy. And it's a nice dilemma for him to be in. You know, it's a nice problem for him to have. I think um, kicking game-wise and game management-wise, Haveli probably did some things in the game in crucial moments where you have to take your hat off to him. Like it was in the first half, he did an unthinkable chip into the Blues 22, and they regathered it. You know, you wouldn't expect a team who chips into the opposition 22 in a, in a Super Rugby final to regather it. Unless you have some kind of level of confidence in, in your skill that you know what you're doing. And the fact that it, it, it came off the way he wanted to, that could have only put ticks next to his name for, for Fozzie. So my guess for the starting lineup against Ireland is going to be Bowden, David Harvey, and Rico for the midfield. Um, the, unfortunate, the other unfortunate part that we probably haven't mentioned too much in this episode is the fact that you had three players in the loose forward trio for the Crusaders who don't consist of current All Blacks, who played against, eventually, uh, uh, All Blacks named trio in Hoskins, Satutu, Akira Iwane, and eventually Dalton Papali when he came on, right? And they got outplayed. So, but the reason they got outplayed was because the platform had been set for them by the Type 5. The old adage. In the amateur era and the professional era, win the game up front, everything else becomes easy. You've got to win the game up front first. That's where the game's won. You don't win the game up front. There's no platform for your backs to do what they do. Forwards win the game. Yeah. The back's determined by how much. Yeah, rugby's always been quite a simple game like that. Like, all those... Old cliches, they are cliches for a reason because they're true. And they've stood the test of time. Weekend. But I'm with you, so I've had a change. Yeah, I'm with you. I've had a change of thought on the 10, 12, yeah. 13. I actually, yeah, I'm with you. I thought Harvili, he showed why he should be there. He's real silky, and that takes pressure off the 10. Like, if the 10's getting shut down, you've got Harvili who's got that playmaking ability, he can take a lot of pressure off that, that first five shoulders. So I quite like that that mix mix there as well. So um, one thing I sort of thought about before as well, like, you know, if you consider the Blues were the best team and the Crusaders got them and how they got them, they dominated the set piece and they had this amazing line speed. And, you know, that's sort of the best team in New Zealand or the best team in Super Rugby getting shut out of the game through that. So that makes me think of Ireland because if I think of Ireland, that's what they do. They're strong set piece team. And they've got that rush defence. So they'll probably be looking at that thinking, 
you know what, there's another New Zealand team who couldn't handle that style, and we've beaten them, what, three of the last five tests with that same style. So I wonder if they're thinking, we can probably jag a couple of games here, because, you know, that style, another New Zealand team struggled against that rush defence and set-piece dominance. So it's, it, For me, it's the secret. It's For me, it, it is the key to beating an all-black side, is smothering them early doors. Early in the game, you've got to smother them and then get that momentum and just keep piling it on as much as you can and not letting them back into the game. Because All Blacks are great at coming back. All Blacks are great at, um, once the game gets going, getting that momentum and keeping it. Whereas all the teams as of recent years, including South Africa and the likes, they've all done the same thing. They've all got a common thread where they smothered the All Blacks in the early stages of the game, scored early points, and managed to keep that lead as long as they possibly could. And that's that's that seems to be the winning formula for you know these other international teams to beat the All Blacks. Unless you smother them up front, they're going to make you pay. And that's um, you know that's where the All Blacks kind of come into their own is the latter stages of the game. The attrition rates of the All Blacks is still quite good, but you know these other teams have caught up in those in those areas. I mean, they may not necessarily catch up in the instinctive play that the All Blacks inherently have due to upbringing and, uh, and incorporating skills that they've acquired from other sports like basketball, like touch, like cricket, which uh, you know, tend to be typical sports that we play in this country versus versus other countries who don't typically play basketball, touch or cricket. See, So um, I, I think yeah, if Ireland are to stand a chance of you know, getting one or two wins against the All Blacks, that's how they have to go. They have to use that um, blitz defence and just smother the hell out of our backs and then let their forwards win the ball back and just keep piling on pressure. Yeah. Yep. I know, I know Salia mentioned last week about, you know, how here we are, 2022. You know, this has been a problem for the All Blacks for... It's not a new problem. It's had this problem for a long time. And then we see the Blues, who were the best team, had the same problem. So... It's a real issue in New Zealand rugby how they can't combat this this one particular style. So Ireland will be looking at that. And I think that's going to add another interesting dimension to the series. So I'll definitely be watching. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ireland get a game um, on the street of that. I think they'll watch that final and think, yeah, we've got a, a game plan that you still can't mm. beat. If we can, now, if we get, it's up to us to execute it. So, yeah, that's um, something interesting there. But um, one thing we talked about earlier, maybe a team of the season or a player of the season uh, for Super Rugby. Have you got anything? Player of the season? Uh, honestly, I think it's hard to go by... If you're thinking the Blues or, or the even the Super Rugby finalists, both the Blues and the Crusaders, and the way the game was played, and yeah. I, <clears throat> I really thought... Um, the pairing of Goodhue and Arvili was quite clever. It's quite strategic because there were times in the game where they had the confidence to let dummy runners like RTS go through without paying him any kind of attention, and that that can't be good for someone who's wanting to play, you know, international, to be let off like that and because the backs of the opposition have the confidence to know that you're not getting the ball. You're just a, you're actually just a decoy runner. So there's there's something about the Crusaders game that led me to believe shit. These guys have really studied the Blues play because they they formed their defense in a way where 
they're now predicting what the Blues are going to do at certain moments of the game. And the fact that they predicted that Roger wasn't going to get the ball, and when Roger did get the ball, they were able to get that snappy, effective ruck play that they do. And the Crusaders are probably one of the best teams at doing it. The ruck winning the ball back and retaining the ball and actually winning the opposition ball because they've got more players to the ruck early and they know what to do once they're there. I think they're, they're one of the best teams to, to ever do it. And that's because of minds like Scott Robertson, Razor Robertson. He really studies yeah. that, that um, yeah. the ruck ball area. Um, standouts for me would be uh, Satutu. Satutu would probably be the, the guy in terms of yeah. consistently playing yep. well throughout the season. And it showed in the final, you know. It showed in the final. He was committed to um, just doing as much as he could. And he showed up in those in those big moments of the game. Yep, I agree with that. I think um, it's hard to pick one player. I thought Will Jordan had a, a good year for the Crusaders. <clears throat> I agree with the players that you selected as well, which are players that I had thought of. I will give a special shout-out to some of the newer teams, uh, oh, yeah. Wana Pacifica and Fiji and Drua. I thought Omua, Omua from, oh. from um, Wana Pacifica. Uh, he was bloody yeah. awesome in the centre. And uh, Habosi, Vinaya Habosi, who played wing for yeah. the uh, Drua. Another outstanding season for him. He was bloody good too. So um, some of the guys down the lower part of the table don't get a lot of love. But yeah, you're right. The players that you selected are, are mm. a lot of the players that I agree with as well. So <clears throat> another good season there. But, you know, we might not be having much more <laughs> Super Rugby. What's this one called? Trans-Tasman? Because the Australians are potentially threatening to split and do their own thing. Um, what are you? What have you made of that idea of, of Australia going it alone and potentially New Zealand going it oh, alone? I share the sentiments of uh, Jeremy Paul, the former Wallaby great, who said, "Look, it's it's a whole lot of hot air from a, a union who seem to be obviously um, desperate, desperate for revenue, desperate for piece of that." bigger piece of that pie that they probably don't deserve in terms of uh, broadcasting rights and revenue. Um, when, you, when you do the numbers together, the New Zealand rugby, they definitely have the lion's share of that. And who knows whether it's deservedly so. I believe if they're in a position where they've got the lion's share, they've negotiated their way. They've made sense of it to the powers that be. So good on them. Uh, on the other hand, I think... Um, it was the move of a desperate organisation who wants to spit the dummy because they feel like this is the only way we're going to get New Zealand rugby to to play ball, to come to the party and actually break off some jump chains for us to feel loved in this competition where we feel second rate. Uh, and rightly so. I, I, I totally get where they're coming from with their stance. And... Uh, Hamish McLennan throwing out, you know, what he's throwing out about um, the idea that they could walk away from Super Rugby Pacific in 2024 um, and threatening to focus on their own domestic competitions. I think um, it's it's they're looking for a reaction. Absolutely, that's what they're doing. Um, 
if I was New Zealand rugby, I wouldn't pay any mind to it. I would be like, well, you're threatening to walk, that's fine. And if you do, it's going to be detrimental to both our domestic games as well as our international games because we need each other to stay strong uh, in the global sense. And the only way for that to happen is if we have these regular competition games at super rugby level against each other um, and with each other. So unless that's going to continue, then unfortunately for both New Zealand rugby and rugby Australia, the, 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 the class or the level of rugby is going to suffer because of it. Um, if it does happen, God forbid, um, I think New Zealand probably needs to focus on going back to the old days where the NPC was the premier competition in this country. Um, keep it professional though, mm -hmm. but still focus that as the if, they, if their hand is forced to do that, then why not? Um, otherwise, what you're going to see is New Zealand being the tier one nation in a super rugby competition that includes <laughs> the Pacific Islands and possibly um, other surrounding nations that can do with all the traveling. Um, Hamish McPennan, I don't take him as someone who just say things, says things willy-nilly, but I do feel like he's, he's he's acting like a desperate man at the moment, and it's just a whole lot of hot air. You've even got the coach of their national team, Dave Rennie, supporting staying in the Super Rugby competition. <laughs> like, you've got conflict, yeah. conflicting views within the organisation, right? Your own directors or leaders or chairman in this case, Hamish McLean coming out and making an empty threat, I call it, with, I don't believe he has the intention to follow through on uh, Rugby Australia separating themselves from New Zealand Rugby, but I can see why he's he's come out and done that. They're frustrated. Why wouldn't they be? 91 million versus 28 million. Of course, who wouldn't be? Missing out on all that. Is that how much I was yeah, going to call 91? In the broadcast price. Okay. But that's due to, you know, the eyes. We've got a smaller country, but we've got more eyes on, on the sport. Even though they've shown some success in recent times or recent competitions, traditionally New Zealand is unmatched with the amount of eyes we get on Super Rugby competitions. So, yeah, why wouldn't New Zealand Rugby try and... Um, make a deal for themselves where they get 91 versus 28 to Australia. It, it is quite unfortunate that South Africa have gone to the URC, which is kind of, you know, it's it's from a entertainment perspective and, and from a fan point of view. That's disappointing yeah. because you, you want to see you know, these three nations go at it at super rugby level, have their top players play in this competition. But at the same time, it's like, you know, if the, if the money or the numbers don't make sense, people move. Uh, and if, if organisations don't feel like they're getting the respect and love they deserve, they move. They go to where they're celebrated, not to where they're tolerated. Right? So and I think that's where Australia is at the moment. 
from the, the, the board of directors point of view, anyway. Um, and good old yeah. Jeremy Paul and yep. Dave Rennie for speaking against any type of move. Yeah, I think with South Africa leaving both countries now at a point where they've <laughs> they're in a, this relationship where they need each other now, so <clears throat> I'm, I'm sort of with you. I think this is sort of uh, he's trying to get a bit more cash, um, and that's why he's threatening the leave. So I've, I've sort of come along to that sort of line of thinking, similar to where, where you've you've come to, and I do wonder. Um, sort of, if we would go on a, on a, alone, you know, back to the NPC would probably be the best way for New Zealand going forward. But you know, he he's brought up some good points. So New Zealand asked for Australia wanted a five year deal for the Super Rugby. Uh, is this Super Rugby Pacific? Is that what this one's called? Yeah, Super Rugby Pacific. And New Zealand said no. New Zealand said we'll just have a two year deal. So next year is the end of that two-year deal, and that's where he's saying, well, we've honoured our obligations and we might go it alone. So Australia, they've got the Lions Tour coming up in 2025. They've got the World Cup 2027, the Women's World Cup uh, 2029, I think, and the Olympics with the Sevens in 2032. So they're saying that they're going to have these massive cash injections from these world tournaments, and they don't necessarily need... New Zealand's help going forward, so uh, maybe the threat might be a bit. I still, I'm still with you. I still think it's just uh, he's trying yeah. to get a bit more cash because of those. There's a oh, massive true. gap in those millions, but he's, you know, maybe there is a bit more tool when you look at some of the what Australia's got coming up, some cash, real cash injections coming forward. Um, but yeah, if Rennie wants to keep it, that, that's sort of saying. They're, they're already divided. So I, I hope that it stays on because I, I quite enjoyed this this format. I think 12 teams is good. Um, it's not, you know, that Super Rugby Aotearoa and that you start to get sick of it after a while with just five teams or whatever. So it's, it's just interesting. And I, and I do think if it does happen, New Zealand, then we'll have to go back to the NPC because this five-team yeah. format's not going to work. It's not. Yep, so, um, yeah, it's just interesting to, to hear the sp split. You know, there's the tensions between New Zealand and Rugby Australia has been play, played out quite publicly a lot now. So I know New Zealand wanted Australia to only have, like, three teams or something like that. And just told them you've got to get rid of a couple of teams. You're not good enough to hold five teams, which they sort of scoffed at and all the rest of it. So, yeah, it's sort of been brewing for a while now. And, but I think with South Africa gone, and I don't know if they're going to come back, New Zealand and Australia need each other now more than ever. So hopefully it's, it, they, it's just empty threats for more mm. cash. Hopefully you're totally. right. Totally. And if you look at the season alone, Super Rugby season, their teams have really stepped up. Their, their Super Rugby teams, I mean, sure enough, they didn't make the final, but their teams actually stepped up and were competitive for once. Right, for once across the board, their teams are competitive. I mean, you've got Moana Bus Pacific, Moana Pacifica, and um, the Drua, who were newcomers and actually you know, showed that they're they're worthy of of a spot here, and they will continue to grow and evolve to become better as an organisation and as as a team of good players as they nurture and grow their talent. 
and recruit better. I think they'll they will become in years to come, you know, better and, and potentially forces to be reckoned with. But I think uh, Australian rugby and New Zealand rugby both need each other, and it's and they don't have to look too far in the rugby circles to get some, you know, agreement there that Trans Tasman rugby is good for. Australia and New Zealand. It's not a one-way street there. Even though the broadcasting deal seems to look like it is a one-way street because New Zealand's got the bigger piece of the pie. Sure, absolutely. But I think Hamish... Hamish needs to be careful. He just needs to be careful with his positioning. Um, he's just making himself look like a fool who is spitting the dummy. Um, and it's obvious that they, they want a bigger slice of the pie. It's obvious that, that they need the money to keep the game growing over there. Yeah. And why wouldn't they? You know, their, their teams are finally becoming competitive. Now they're starting to think, shit, we actually deserve more. Look at our teams. We deserve more piece of the pie because our teams are doing better. Our teams mm -hmm. are actually competitive in this year's competition. Um, so, yeah, he, he needs to be careful. I don't think he has the support of everyone in the Australian rugby community. So he probably needs to shut up on that one. Um, yeah. yeah. I think uh, what, what this does is it now puts uncertainty into the mind of players, which they don't need. They don't need that kind of uncertainty being pushed on them because of things they read about in the media, because of one of their chairmen came out and made this bold statement that nobody has any intention of um, going along with or actioning. It's just one person's view, and that's Hamish yeah. McLennan, who, who's in a, a position of power, position of influence, as the chairman of Rugby Australia, and he probably... He's spoken out of emotion rather than you know, with logic. And unfortunately for him, he's spoken out of turn with emotion. And he's therefore exposed himself as someone who is uh, a little bit a little bit immature in terms of um, how he needs to be as a professional person. Um, the other thing that this uh, has a danger of doing the risk of this uh, positioning by Hamish McLennan is that if things do go ahead where Rugby Australia double down and they do action something, all it's going to do is it's going to force the players to try and uh, buy their trade with a Super Rugby franchise or go offshore. Why would they stay yeah. for a localised uh, domestic competition that doesn't include the best of New Zealand, the best players of New Zealand? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make them any stronger. All it does is, sure, it might, might, make, might uh, help develop grassroots a little better, but that takes them steps back in rugby rather than steps forward the way being in a strong competition like Super Rugby versus 
They all went from across the water, New Zealand. The best of New Zealand crop is in this competition. And unless they're consistent in playing and testing themselves against the best of New Zealand crop, they haven't got a shit show in hell. Yeah. Yep. Now I agree with that. Eh? It's um <clears throat> hopefully it is just what you say, just um a lot more empty threats to get some money because you know, we've had so many changes in Super Rugby, but this competition, this current one, I think has potential to be good because you're right, the Australian teams have improved. Now the Brumbies are one drop goal away, charged down away from being in the final. The Waratahs mm. got better. Now the Reds are sort of there or thereabouts. Uh, compared to last year where they just got smoked every game, this year they've been competitive and they can build on that. And then that makes Super Rugby a lot better where the New Zealand teams are good, the Australian teams are good. The two new teams, Moana and, and Fiji and Drua, they'll be better for their experience. So this could be a competition which now all the teams are <coughs> relatively competitive, which hasn't always been the case mm. in Super Rugby. And that's where it was boring, where they had these other these other iterations. So I think we might be on to a good format if they can yeah. see it through. So I hope that they don't uh, let it all sort of die on the vine. Um but that's about us, Joey. We're just about to wrap up, mate, our pod uh, for the week. So, mate, have you got any final words? Um, yeah. Just in closing um, for us? It's exciting and uh, quite a quite a weird time that we're in where we're now looking forward to who of the Super Rugby competition that was selected to in the Auckland squad gets to start against you know, the Irish who um, have now got a better record than they ever had against the All Blacks um, in recent years. So it'll be interesting to see who gets to start. Uh, I'm going to be putting bets on myself and writing down lists who I think are, are going to start. Um, it'll be interesting to see where Roger Tuvasashek actually lands in, in, in these two tests and what kind of role he plays um, you know, in, in that collective. Uh, the other thing is someone who was quite disappointed by the result and performance of the Blues in the final. Uh, still proud that they actually got to the final and played well throughout the season and managed to play so well that they attracted the the core of our old uh, Blues fan base back to Eden Park. Um, I don't even remember a Super Rugby game that ever packed out Eden Park um, in the last decade, let alone you know, uh, ever. I mean, I've, I've been to games in the past, like the early 2000s, where the Blues tended to uh, pack out those uh, uh, air parks, the, the stadium, especially games against the Crusaders. Um, they were always a big game, and you, know, you always had a massive crowd. Uh, so it was nice to be amongst the Blues faithful and the fan wagon. Well said. 
I agree with all that. It's um, I was a bit gutted. Well, not so much after I saw the result, but I really wanted to go to that final just because of that atmosphere. We haven't had that um, at Eden Park for a Blues game for a long time. <clears throat> um, so yeah, hopefully that can continue, and that's really up to the Blues to build on this going forward. So I agree with all that. Um, I just wanted to say that I hope New Zealand and Aussie rugby they can sort out their issues. Because like I said before, I think the Super Rugby Pacific, it's worth persisting with. But if next year is the last year, watch out for the Blues to win and keep the trophy forever. Because we got the super, last Super Rugby mm. 10s, we got that, and we've held that trophy forever. We got that Super Rugby Trans-Tasman, and we've kept that trophy forever <laughs> now too. So we've got this history of just winning that last trophy and just holding on to it. So maybe something for our Blues fans to hold on to. And I just wanted to touch on something you mentioned earlier on in our podcast with uh, Carl Heyman. Um, you know, it's a bit of a sad story, so we just hope, uh, wish him all the best. You know, he's one of the heroes of New Zealand rugby. And you love watching a guy just go out there and be an absolute uh, gladiator on the field. But once it's all said and done, you want him to just go off and, you know, fade off into the sunset and not have any long-term effects from you know all of his on-field heroics so you know just wishing him um well thoughts um for him and his family for sure yep and uh that's us uh there joy mate we'll be back again soon so hopefully rog can stay on for the rest of the podcast uh but yeah couch the counter uh through the usual podcast platform spotify apple stitcher uh wherever you listen um and don't forget to click the subscribe button. But, uh, yep, Joey, Cheers, thanks, thanks. Mate. That's us, bro. Until next time. No worries. Yeah, next time.